Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel 25. 1 Samuel 25, we're going to finish out this chapter uh, this morning. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers here this morning. Uh, what a blessing it is to celebrate our dads and the impact they've had on our life. And, and what I want to do this morning before we get into God's Word, just spend a little time in prayer. Uh, first of all, I just want us to, to spend some time thanking the Lord for our fathers. Um, and uh, praising the Lord for those men in our life who helped to shape us, who impacted us. And I don't know what your relationship is with your father uh, this morning. I, I have no idea where you are at in, in standing with your dad. But regardless of where you stand this morning, we want to thank God for those men who shaped us in some way, shape, or form. They've imprinted our lives, and we want to thank, thank the Lord for them. And then, in general, I just want us to pray for dads today. I, I think we'd all agree it's a new day uh, and a new world in which we're raising children. Uh, we're chasing, facing challenges the likes of which we have never seen before. And uh, if there's one thing we ought to be doing, it's praying for dads because now more than ever, we need godly men who are strong as steel when it comes to the truth of God's word, but soft when it comes to compassion and serving with the heart of Christ. And that's no easy task in our world today. So right where you're at right now, just right where you're seated, would you take a moment and pray for your own dad? Maybe just pray for him. Thank God for him, but pray for him. Pray for your dad right now. Yeah, I can guarantee you, if he's alive, he needs your prayers. If he's not alive, you thank God for giving you a dad and somebody helped raise you. And then I want you to just spend a moment praying for dads in general. Maybe you've got somebody specifically in mind around you that's in the midst of raising children, little ones, or maybe they're beginning that journey. You just pray specifically for them right where you're seated. Just right now in the quietness of your heart, you spend a few moments in prayer. Father, this morning as we come into your house on this Father's Day weekend, we want to uh, just acknowledge you and, and, and say thanks for the fathers that you have given to us. And Lord, I know that there's some here this morning, I don't, I don't know what their relationship is with their father. But Lord, I pray that um, you would encourage them to pray for their dad. Um, your scripture says, honor your father and your mother. Your days go well on the earth. It's a promise. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be grateful and love our dads in the right way. Lord, I pray for fathers that uh, are just starting that journey, some of which are getting ready to start that journey. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them by your grace and through your spirit and your word to be strong men of faith who would be bold and unbending when it comes to truth 
and holiness and righteousness. But at the same time, I pray that you would give those fathers soft hearts to serve and to love that they might demonstrate Christ. In a world, in a culture that's against us and contrary in so many ways, Lord, help us to look to your word for strength and to rely upon your spirit to be the men and the dads that you've called us to be. And God, give us grace when we fall. God, give us grace. Thank you for all the many blessings you've given to us. And we pray that you would guide our study in your word this morning. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When we turn our attention to God's word, 1 Samuel 25, um, I don't think I'm going to embarrass anybody this morning. I just thought I'd do this. Didn't do it last night. Some dangerous territory. But I want you to raise your hand if you got somebody in your life. And again, I'm not going to embarrass them. I'm not trying to call anybody out. But I think pretty much we're all going to be in this boat. But raise your hand this morning. If you got some of your life that has maybe treated you unfairly and you just got level honest, you don't really like them, and they don't really like you. Anybody got some folks like that? Yeah? <laughs> keep your hand raising if it's not your spouse. If it's not your spouse, right? <laughs> keep that hand raised. Um, that's just the nature of the world we live in, especially for us as believers in Jesus Christ, that, that we're going to bump into people. And the fact of the matter is... Christ was pretty clear with us about uh, what it will look like for us to follow him, to commit our lives to him, and the fact that we will face persecution, that, that we will have people who treat us unfairly and unjustly. They, they will wrong us. They, they will hurt us deeply. That will be the, the mark of the Christian. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. In fact, I was uh, just thinking this morning in Matthew 10, 34, it says, do not think I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we seek to walk and live for him. We're committed to him. We're going to bump into people and they're going to hurt us and they're going to treat us unjustly and unfairly. That, that's going to be the normative Christian experience. Now, the question is, how do we respond? H how do we respond to those moments when we're treated unjustly, when people hurt us deeply? And that's really what we're looking at with, with David's life. And, and what's interesting about David is we've already seen with Saul, he had a moment. Saul has thrown spears at him. Saul has falsely accused him of all kinds of things and unfaithfulness and been mean to him. And, and Saul was then handed into David's hands. He could have killed him right there in the cave. Saul's totally vulnerable. And, and what did David do? In spite of his friends saying, there he is, kill him. Let's kill him today. And David says, no, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to lay my hands on the Lord's anointed. And he demonstrated great restraint. I was reminded, too, um, later on in David's life, there'll be uh, Shemaiah who will come out and curse David. And it'll be Benaiah who says, who is this little dog? Let's kill him. Isn't it good to have friends like that in your life? Somebody hurts you. You know what you ought to do? Just kill that person. And uh, David says, no. It's interesting. David said, maybe, he's, maybe I need a little cursing. Maybe I need this in my life right now. Maybe this is God-ordained. You leave him alone. And David will demonstrate amazing restraint. 
I mean, David is a man of holiness and character and godliness, but, but he has this moment with Nabal that we looked at last week, doesn't he? And David's out, he's, he's, he's in the wilderness, and he sees uh, Nabal, and he's got his, his shepherds out there and his sheep, and he does what, what any good Israelite did. You took care of your neighbors, and you protected them. He demonstrated hospitality, he demonstrated generosity, he put himself out there, and, and the expectation is that he'd get a stipend for that, 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 that Nabal would reward him for his generosity and faithfulness to his, his fellow Israelite for helping him out in the midst of this situation. So at the time of shearing, when there had been great festivity and the handing out of hospitality and generosity to those who helped you, David sends a messenger and says, hey, Nabal, um, you're great. Peace be with you. Um, would you mind sharing some of your great wealth with us as we've taken care of you? We've, we've done right by you. Would you demonstrate generosity? You remember what Nabal says? <laughs> who in the world is David? I don't even know this guy. And there's a whole lot of servants who are breaking away from their masters these days. Sounds to me like this David guy ought to take care of himself. Sounds to me like he's a bum. He's been unfaithful. And so, you know what? I'm not going to give my stuff. I'm not going to be generous with this guy. I don't care what he's done. I'll take his blessing. I'll take his protection, but I ain't giving anything to him. Word comes back to David. What does David say? We're going to kill him, and we're going to kill him all. Don't you love the word of God? Just paints these guys and... Because isn't that sometimes how we feel when somebody wrongs us? You ever been there? Hopefully I'm not the only one. <laughs> somebody wrongs you, falsely accuses you, and all kinds of feelings begin to well up in you. And your thought is, God, if you don't kill him, I probably will right now. And that's David. Now listen to me. Again, I want to make clear that it's not wrong to experience righteous indignation towards injustice. We ought to feel that way. Anger, if, if you see injustice or experience injustice and you don't get a little bit angry, something's wrong with you. Scripture says, be angry and do not sin. It was not wrong for David to get angry at injustice and being treated unfairly. It was wrong to act on that anger in a sinful way. David flies off the handle. Boys, get your swords. There's going to be a killing today. There's not going to be a male left. And it's interesting that Proverbs tells us that the letting loose of anger is like the letting loose of water. You break a dam of, that holds back water, how much of the water flows out? All of it. When you lose control of your anger, you don't just go eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, do you? No, you just let it all out. It's uncontrolled. And here is David in uncontrolled restraint, moving in wrath against a guy who's just basically said it, called him some names. What does it matter, this little flea? God will take care of him. But David wants to take matters into his own hands. So he moves against him, and he is so close. He is, he is going to bring down fire upon this family. And God moves in the heart of a woman named Abigail. And Abigail will move in a hurry. She senses God moving her heart. I got to do something to my husband. And remember, this is a woman who's married to a fool. That's his name. He's a foolish man. Probably hasn't treated her well. And she very easily, we talked about last week, she very easily could have said, well, let's just see how this plays out. But guess what Abigail's going to do? She's not going to respond as her flesh probably wanted to. She's going to trust God. I'm just going to be faithful. I'll trust God to deal with my husband. And so she does not probably what she wanted to do in her flesh, but she does what is right and good and faithful. And she goes and she moves and she remembers, she, she comes out before David and gives this incredibly long discourse. 
Can you imagine this woman who's just married to a fool, but she's a righteous woman, faithful, discerning, and she comes and she gives this long discourse. It's unbelievably bold, but it's on the basis of the truth of God's word. David, don't do this in light of who you are, in light of what God is going to do. In other words, she's a believer. Her husband's not a believer. He's not trusted. He doesn't see David as the Lord's anointed. He despises the Lord's anointed. Abigail recognizes David as the Lord's anointed. You're gonna be king. And on the basis of the truth of God's word, David, don't do this. But it'll be because it'll become a blemish to your reign. It'll blemish your testimony. See, that, that, that to me, when we take matters into our own hands in, in recompense or revenge towards evil, we mess with our testimony. We destroy our credibility. Because guess what we look like? We look like the rest of the world. I mean, think about this. Jesus. Being reviled did not revile. What if, it, what if you read uh, Jesus while being reviled began to revile back and spit in their faces? You'd say, that ain't right. Jesus, while being reviled, did not revile in return. And what did the Roman guard say? Surely this man is a son of God. See, what differentiates us, what gives us credibility in the world is we don't respond like the world when we're hurt. And what is the biblical principle that keeps us from responding in kind when we are hurt or treated unjustly? It's called the sovereignty of God. And recognizing that God says, vengeance is mine. Now, I want to be clear about this. This doesn't mean uh, that we don't confront sin sometimes. That's not what this means. When I say, when, when God says vengeance is mine, it doesn't mean that we don't, in, in criminal activity, it doesn't mean that if somebody intrudes my home tonight that I can't shoot that individual, all right? So be forewarned. We're not talking about protection here. We're not talking about criminal activity. And we're not even talking over the, you know, Christians should not sue one another. I'm not talking about lawsuits against people that, where, you're, where it's a just cause. And it needs to be dealt with. We're not talking about those things. What we're talking about is in the the occurrences of life as people hurt us and harm us. It is the idea of God's sovereign control and the fact that God judges evil and wickedness that allows us to leave it to him. It's a principle called it's a dog called the, the retributive justice of God. There are a lot of people who don't like to think of God as, as being a God who's retributive in his justice. But listen to me, he is. Some people hear that and they say, well, that's gonna incite violence. No, quite the contrary. When we understand that it's God who meets out judgment and he does it far better than us, it enables us as Christians to say, vengeance is his. I don't have to take matters into my own hands. I'm gonna leave it with God. He's far better than me. So here's the question. How will God meet out justice towards Nabal and how will David respond to this interruption in his life? So let's look at this. We're gonna pick up the story in verse 32. This is after the discourse of Abigail. She's been bold. She's called him out. Um, She's warned him. And in many ways, she's admonished the Lord's anointed on the basis of the truth of God's word. I mean, you talk about a bold woman. David's got wrath in his eyes. And she lays out in front of him and says, 
Don't do this. How will David respond? Well, look at verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. David says, blessed be God. That's the first thing he recognizes. That while Abigail is the means by which God used to intervene in his life, David is able through spiritual discernment to recognize that this isn't just about a woman. This is about God graciously intervening to restrain me in my sin. Aren't we grateful? Can we all say that we've been grateful for the times that God has graciously intervened and interrupted our lives to prevent us from moving forward in a way that would have been sinful and hurt our lives? I'm constantly amazed at I think some of the greatest blessings that God brings in our life are the interruptions whereby God prevents us and protects us from sin and things that would have been incredibly detrimental. In fact, I wonder, I don't know if this will be the case, I wonder if in heaven God will give us a glimpse into all the things that he protected us from that we never even saw. You know those times in your life where you got frustrated because things didn't work out according to your plan? And you got mad because things interrupted. And maybe you saw it later, or maybe we won't see it until we get to heaven, but God pulls back the blinders and we say, oh, now I see. See, this is the key to the spiritual life. It's not just in the matters of revenge, but it's just resting in a sovereign God and Father who loves us and recognizing that our job is not to manipulate the circumstances to get a desired end and goal, but our job is just simply to be faithful where God has placed us. You be the man or woman that God has called you to be and you let God be God. He's a whole lot better at being God than you are. It's interesting to me how many times I will hear believers say, I don't like the way God is doing this. Uh, so you're telling me you're better than God at these things. I mean, that's a dangerous, dangerous path to walk. So Abigail interrupts. David says, blessed be God. And blessed be your discernment. He looks at Abigail, thank you for being discerning. Can we not all say we thank God for his restraining grace, but we also thank God for people in our lives who loved us enough to pull us to the side from time to time and say, don't keep going down that path. We all need good friends in our life. If you don't have somebody like this in your life, and you hopefully have more than one somebody, but you got some individuals in your life who will pull you to the side and say, I love you, and in humility, I'm telling you, you're doing something that ain't right. And here's the truth of God's word that I stand upon to bring you critique. And when those people do that in our lives, we, none of us like critique. None of us do. But hopefully, we have the heart of a David who's willing to listen to the truths of God's word and hear it and change. David says, thank you, Abigail. Thank you for being discerning. Blessed be you who kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself. You kept me from a serious sin. Nevertheless, as the Lord, verse 34, of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me. He, he sees the perfect sovereignty, the timing of God down to the second. Abigail, you have no idea. If you hadn't turned that corner with your guys at that moment, boy, I would have gone headlong into sin. Praise God not only for his sovereign, but his sovereign timing. 
in our lives. And so he recognizes that. If you hadn't met me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning of morning light as much as one male. Boy, I was so close to committing grave sin. It would have been a mess. The, the, the weight of David's sin, the potential sin that he would have committed, begins to overwhelm him at this moment. Verse 35, so David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go up to your house in peace. See, I've listened to you and granted your request. I talked about this some last week, but I love this about David. Say what you will about him. This is a very flawed man. We're gonna see this continual out in David's life. There is no perfect man other than Jesus Christ. The only person who's never had to apologize is Jesus. David was not a perfect man. The mark of the true believer is not perfection. The mark of the true believer is repentance. Meaning we are a people who are changing. Repentance is not something we do just once at the moment of salvation, but it's, it's something that we do repeatedly as the word of God exposes sin in our hearts and we change. God, make our hearts sensitive to the truth of your word so that we hear it and we recognize sin and we change. David, this will not be the last time, by the way, that he'll be confronted by the truth of God's word in the midst of his sin. And what I love about it is David, when in every instance in which he's confronted with the truths of God's word in the midst of his sin, he'll have a soft heart, he'll humble himself, he'll repent, and he'll change. That's what makes David a man after God's own heart. So let me just say this to you, Father. Some of you need to hear this. You've made a lot of mistakes, so have I. There's not one perfect dad in this room. But I'm here to tell you what God is looking for is not perfect fathers. He's looking for fathers who will humble themselves under the word of God and keep changing and moving towards Christ-likeness. That's what God desires. So David repents. He's changing the direction of his life as a product of Abigail's intervention and more importantly, the Lord's gracious restraint in his life. Well, then the question becomes, well, what happened to Nabal? Because, I mean, the guy's committed injustice. David said, well, yeah, okay, peace, I'm done. No more wrath. There's some who will say right here, well, boy, David, if you don't do something, Nabal's going to get off scot-free. David, if you don't act, you ever had somebody say that to you? If you don't do something about this individual, they're going to get off scot-free. Nothing will happen to them. Well, what's going to happen to Nabal? What, does, does he get his? Well, let's see. Look at verse 36. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold... He was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king and Nabal's heart was merry within him for he was very drunk. She did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. So Nabal, this is interesting. Abigail took all this food, all these provisions. He didn't miss any of it, which is an indication this guy was overflowing with wealth. So stingy when it comes to generosity, but overflowing with wealth. And not only did he not miss his stuff, but apparently he didn't miss his wife. God has given him a great blessing in this righteous, faithful woman. It doesn't appear that he missed her at all, nor did he miss his stuff. He's having a party and he's acting like a king. And little does, does Nabal know that he was walking right next to the edge of an abyss. 
I think what we see here is a picture of the world. There's a world of people out there. They have sinned against the Lord's anointed. They have sinned against God. They stand in a place of wrath and condemnation. And they're partying without a care in the world. No acknowledgement of God. They are walking in sin, thumbing their nose at God. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and I'm going to party and have a good time. And so often in this world, doesn't it appear, you see people walking in sin and unrighteousness and evil, and you're like, God, what's going on here? It looks like they're having a party. It looks like they're getting away with it. The question is, will God bring judgment? Well, Abigail, she can't speak into him in his drunkenness, and he wouldn't listen. Can't talk to him now, so what does she do? She had to wait until the morning light, verse 37. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, so he's had a cup of coffee, he's gotten some kind of shower, sobered up a little bit, starting to see the world clearly. At that moment, his wife told him these things. She told him all that happened. What, the question that I have, these are the questions that I hope to get answered one day. How did she, how did she inform him? Like, what was the tone of her voice? Um, I picture Abigail saying, you drunken fool, your name is Nabal, you are an idiot, sit there and listen to me for just a second, you need to know something, I don't know, that's me and my sinfulness, I would have, wap, 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 have no idea what I just did for you, uh, but I imagine Abigail being a righteous, faithful woman, probably in a very calm manner. He said, well, you're drinking your coffee. Can I, can I tell you some things? You were very harsh to David. And I believe him to be the Lord's anointed. And you have no idea, but he in righteous indignation had gathered 400 men with their swords. They're going to kill you. Not just you, but every male in this house. And having learned of that, um, and I didn't, quite frankly, Nabal, I don't like you. And there was a good bit of me that just said, let him die. but you're still my husband. So I gathered as much stuff as I possibly could. And I threw myself down in front of a man who wanted to kill you in righteousness. And I was willing to die to save your life. And I just imagine as she begins to describe what has occurred, the weight of Nabal's wrath as sinfulness and the wrath of God upon his life begins to overwhelm him. And it said his heart turned to stone. I, I, we don't know what happened scientifically, medically, I, I, potentially a stroke. But in that moment, he's struck dumb and the life goes out of him. 
a lot of people in this world who you talk to them about Christ and the salvation that he provides as a free gift of grace and they'll say, you know what, right now is not, not the time I want to deal with that. Maybe later on down the road I'll come to a place of sobering up and I'll recognize the weight of my sin. Listen to me. You wait and it might be too late. I wonder if Nabal thought he had plenty of time to wait and see how this deal works out with King David and maybe later I'll make it right and but right now I'm gonna party and I'm gonna keep everything I got. And When he finally came to a place of being confronted with the, the depth of his sin and the righteousness of God, of God, it was too late. And it says in that next verse, verse 38, about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Now I want you to note there the brevity of that statement. Isn't this interesting? <laughs> Lord struck him 10 days later, died, that's it. Isn't it amazing how wound up David got about this guy that he thinks if I don't do something to this guy that he'll get off scot-free. What he got all worked up about, what he had to gather 400 guys and gather the swords to, to go and uh, overcome, God took care of in one verse. See, that's, that's the power of God. What David was so worried about, anxious about, God took care of like it was no big deal. Just a good reminder, all of us in the midst of these things, trust the Lord. The things that you think are a big deal right now that you think, boy, if I don't get even with this, if I don't deal with this, if I don't bring the judgment of God upon that person, they're going to get off scot-free. Don't be so foolish and don't think so highly of yourself. God knows exactly where that person is and when God wants to deal with him in his time and his way, he'll deal with him. You just be faithful right where you're, right where you're at. And so God struck. I love this, the word of God. It doesn't pull any punches and it, doesn't, it wants you to be very clear about who killed him. He didn't, God doesn't want any of us walking away saying, well, what a coincidence, he had a heart attack right then. No, God wants you to know, I killed him. I took his life. That is the retributive justice of God. Is our sin against God personal? You bet it is. Your sin is not some vague thing out there in the universe. You have sinned against a holy, righteous, almighty God. Nabal did not primarily sin against David. He sinned against God. In his greed, in his injustice in his lack of submission and acknowledgement of the Lord's anointed, he sinned against God. You remember it was David who said in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. And God took his life. Listen to me, you let God be God. Whenever somebody sins against you, listen to me. As offended as you may be and as personal as it may be to you, remember this. They have sinned against somebody far more important than you. And you let God deal with that person in his time and in his way. And that person that seems impenetrable, that seems like they can do whatever they want to do and get away with it, listen, they will not ultimately get away with it. So God brings judgment. Well, listen, 
to the response of David. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord. (laughs) God is good. And it sounds odd that David rejoiced over the retributive justice of God, but the fact of the matter is we don't rejoice over the condemnation of sinners, but we do rejoice and worship a God who is just and judges wickedness. Would you want a God who does not judge wickedness? I don't. I want a God that I know will put down evil and wickedness and it will be judged one day because that is the righteousness of the God that we serve. And David rejoiced. I was reading this. I I shared with some of the guys this morning. It reminded me there was a story of a guy who was getting on an airplane. Uh, He was one of the last to get on the plane. He goes, it's American Airlines. He's got a seat uh, and he, he, he sees his seat. There's a row of three seats and there's Two empty seats and one, uh, one seat with a guy in it. And he realized the guy's sitting in his seat. And he's like, man, I'm one of the last ones on the plane. Uh, I'm going to get my seat and I'm going to have nobody sitting next to me. But I got to get that guy out of my seat. So he goes over to the guy, shows him his ticket. Sir, you're sitting in my seat. This guy's got a nice, real nice suit. Got his laptop out. He's working. And the guy says, I ain't moving. In my seat. Sir, that, no, that's my seat. Right here it is. I, I ain't moving. Calls the stewardess over, stewardess, sir, the, 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 ma'am, this, this guy, he's sitting in my seat, and he, he is a stewardess. Sir, it's not your seat. Would you move? And this stewardess, it looked like she'd had a very long day. She was just worn out. And the guy looks at her and says, I ain't moving. The stewardess looks at this man and says, I'm so sorry, but would you just, there's an open seat right here between these two other men. Would you just sit right there and we got to take off. Let's get out of here. The guy relents. He said, yeah, sure, no problem. So he goes over there, sits between these two men. And just before they're about to shut the door of that plane, they see somebody. He notices somebody else getting on. He looks up. It's a mama with a two-year-old girl. (laughs) They usher her back to which two seats? Right next to that guy in a nice suit with a laptop. And that girl was the most talkative girl you've ever met. Where'd you get that laptop? Well, how much is that laptop? Well, why are you working? What are you doing this? And, and then about 30 minutes, the coup de grace, about 30 minutes before they land, the, the girl gets silent. People sitting around go, what? what in the world? She's all of a sudden quiet. She pukes everywhere. <laughs> Just all over the place. On this guy's nice suit. They're deep boarding, everybody's getting off the plane, and, and uh, this guy's getting off, and the stewardess says, hold back, hold back just a second. So he holds back, and she goes over and gets a bottle of champagne and two glasses. <laughs> and they rejoiced in the righteousness of a God <laughs> who brings judgment on sinners. Uh, and I'm not condoning the drinking of champagne, all right, be careful here. Uh, but listen... God has ways we know not of. But you can be assured of this. Wicked and evil does not go unpunished by God. God says, vengeance is mine. You repay evil with good. You know how you want to get back at somebody? Paul says in Romans 12, you love them and show kindness, and by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on their head. Love them. Demonstrate kindness to them. Somebody's hurt you, 
pray for them. It's hard to hate somebody you're praying for. Pray for them. Pray that God would move in their life. You don't know what they're going through. So look on. Verse 39, we got to move quick. When David heard that Nabal was dead, blessed be the Lord, please uh, plead the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. And then sent it, David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. She arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, behold, your maidservant is a maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Then Abigail quickly arose and rode on a donkey with her five maidens who attended her and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. This is what I love about this. This, this. this all is pointing to, and David describes it in Psalm 37. Listen, when it comes to those who do us harm, when we find ourselves in bad situations, in unjust situations, what we do as believers is we trust in the Lord, we wait upon the Lord, dwell in the land and do good, cultivate faithfulness, David says. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Abigail was in a bad deal, married to a fool, probably mistreated in a lot of ways. I bet there was a lot of days that Abigail said, Lord, I just would, for any brief period of my life, like to know a husband who truly loved me. But Abigail didn't set about to manipulate the circumstances so that her husband would die and she could get another husband. She was just faithful to the Lord. Did the Lord give her the desires of her heart? Yeah, he did. David, unjustly treated. Was David compensated for the sacrifices he made in the wilderness? I think he got more out of Abigail than he would have ever gotten out of Nabal anyway. God gave him more than he could ever have wanted. And did God recompense Nabal for his evil? Yes, he did. How did God bring it about? Through men and women who were simply faithful to trust in God right where they were. It's one of the most difficult lessons for us as believers. We wanna manipulate circumstances to achieve our, our desired goal. We put ourselves in God, in the position of God, and we think we know better than him, and so we see circumstances, and we wanna play God, and we wanna maneuver it this way, and what the Bible tells us is you're not that smart. You rest in, in a faithful, sovereign God who is your father. And when you set your heart's affection simply upon him, he'll give you the desires of your heart. He knows what you want. He knows your desires. How many of you would say today, Lord, I, <laughs> the way one of my professors in college used to say it, even our wanter is messed up. We don't even want the right things, do we? The desires that we have, we don't even know what we desire and that the desires that we have, half of them are wrong. Listen to me, trust in a God who knows your deepest desires better than you do and knows better than you how to meet those desires and you just rest faithfully in him. Now the story ends on a sour note because David, um, and David also took in verse 43 a Hinnom of Jezreel and they both became his wives. Now Saul had Michael, his daughter, David's wife, had given Michael, his, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. And we see uh, a sin. I, I, if there's one thing that you see in the book of Samuel is that these men that God calls, they're all flawed. Um, Eli, oh boy, he was flawed. Samuel, you look at Samuel, boy, he was really good. But when it came to picking a king, 
You remember after Saul, he goes down to Jesse's house and he gets down there. And if it had been up to Samuel, who would he have picked? Eliab, the oldest. And guess what they would have got? They probably got another Saul. What, what, was, what was necessary in that moment? What was necessary is God to lead his people. Samuel, because he was flawed, he's a sinner. God had to lead his people. David is a flawed man. God must lead his people. David is gonna take multiple wives, polygamy. It is not God's design. Go back to Genesis 1 for God's design. That is God's design. One man, one woman for a lifetime. That's God's design. And stepping outside of those boundaries is a sin. And it always has consequences. And for some reason, God in his sovereignty will tolerate it in these instances, but it will always have sinful consequences and repercussions and the most of which will, will become later on an adulterous relationship that will eventually lead to the downfall of David's earthly reign. It's sin. And it's a good reminder, listen to me, that only God can rule his, his people. And Christ is the only perfect king. And we trust in him. We trust in him. Listen to me, if you're here this morning and, and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want you to be very clear this morning. You stand in the same place as Nabal. You might say, well, I'm not, as, I'm not ungenerous. I'm, I'm kind in those types of things. Listen to me. All of us have sinned against a holy, righteous God. We have despised the Lord and we have walked in sinfulness and the full weight of God's wrath is, is pointed upon us. And so often we don't like to think about it. Most people, they don't like to think about sin. I don't, I don't wanna think about those things. I wanna go to the parties. I, I wanna have a good time. I wanna pursue money and wealth. I just wanna live my life. I don't wanna think about sin. I don't, I don't wanna think about righteousness. I don't wanna think about judgment. Listen to me, at some point or another, you better think about it. Because your life is but a breath your life is a breath and eternity is forever. And the good news is, like Abigail, God saw you in your sinful condition when you didn't want him and you didn't love him and he knew you couldn't get to him. He knew you couldn't save yourself and so he sent Jesus Christ as the, as the mediator for our sin to stand in the gap and he laid down his life and he lived a perfect and sinless life and he bore the weight of your sin on his shoulders on the cross. He took the full weight of God's wrath. Does God judge sin? Look at the cross. That's where he judged our sin. Am I a sinner? Yes. Was my sin judged? You bet it was. It was judged on Jesus. Sin is always judged. You'll either bear the judgment on your own or you will run to the cross and you will trust Jesus who bore the wrath for you. But all of us will be judged. Run to King Jesus. The Bible is always, I think, Abigail is a type of Christ. We see these type of Christ in the Old Testament. Point us to Jesus. Run to the perfect mediator, Jesus Christ, who is your perfect eternal father, who loves you and died for you to save you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. I, I pray for those that might be in this room on this Father's Day weekend that don't know you. They've never trusted in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, quite frankly. If they were gut level honest, they've never really thought about it. Lord, I pray that I, they would know that I don't say this in meanness. I get passionate about these things. Lord, forgive me if in any way it came across as anger or meanness. That's not my heart. But I see people just like Nabal and they're, they're going about life and acting as if nothing is wrong. And 
They're covering a lot of pain in their life and the guilt of sin by means of a lot of different things, relationships, money, wealth, parties, drugs, whatever it is, they're trying to mask a deeper issue, which is the depth of their sin. And God, I pray that that you would reveal the depth of their sin, but more than this, you would reveal the beauty of your salvation that you've provided in Jesus Christ. Your word says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's the demonstration of his love in the cross that overwhelms our hearts to the point that we can't help but run to him for salvation. Lord, today I pray that they would trust in Jesus. They would run to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the perfect lamb of God who died on the cross for our sin. They would know his salvation, his forgiveness today. For those of us that do know you, I pray that we would trust you. In the midst of our circumstances, no matter how unjustly we might have been treated, no matter where we're at today, I pray that that those people who are standing firm in their faith and seeking to walk in faithfulness, I pray that you would shine your favor upon them right now. Wherever they're at, God, I pray that you would tell them in their heart right now on the basis of your word, whenever they stand for you, no matter how hard it hurts, I pray that they would know today you love them and you are proud of them. And they have a heavenly father who stands with them. And he'll work out all the other stuff, maybe not in their time or in their way, but he'll do it even better. I pray that they would trust in you. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.